Ryan Millsap, chairman and CEO of Atlanta-based Black Hall Studios, is one of today's top entertainment executives with a vision for Black Hall that's ambitious, energizing, and boundless. Millsap is blazing a trail through the heart of the South and setting his sights on the future of entertainment. Listen and learn as Ryan Millsap journeys through the myriad industries, people, and landscapes that traverse the complex and dynamic world of film production. I'm Ryan Millsap, host of the Black Hall Studios podcast from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm an entrepreneur, mostly by necessity because I have massive authority issues, and also by constitution as the entrepreneurial life is filled with things I love, freedom, adventure, creativity, and imagination. When I began this leg of my journey into the entertainment industry, you may find it interesting to know that my background before this was all commercial real estate and that I built Black Hall Studios as a specialty real estate project for production giants like Disney, Sony, Warner Brothers, and Universal to have a place to apply their skilled craft of production. I'm from Los Angeles, but I moved to Atlanta six years ago. I've done business all over the world, and I know a few places with the dynamism of Atlanta. It's a world-class city with a huge economic future as a center of commerce for a global economy. On this podcast, we get local and global and talk to people who are inspirational, sensational, sometimes motivational, but at all times somehow tied to the ecosystem that is the culture and business of entertainment as it relates to Black Hall Studios. I stay pretty busy even during this quarantining with plans to open another studio in London, another studio in LA, and expanding our studio here in Atlanta. But my guest today on the Black Hall Studios podcast is taking it to another level. Color me impressed. I'm talking today with Dr. Daria Long Gillespie, Yale and Harvard trained emergency physician, the best selling author of Mom Hacks, a regular guest expert on CNN, HLN, and Fox, as well as a frequent TEDx speaker. And most importantly, a mom. Maybe I'd better talk fast. She may not have much time. Seriously, I'm thrilled to have her on the cast today. Her approach is to take the best science, add knowledge, and make life healthier, better, and easier. I'm all in on the concept. Her catchphrase is, ready? Because you've got this. I know I've got a fascinating interview coming up with an amazing and accomplished medical pro on the Black Hall Studios podcast. Welcome to the Black Hall podcast. Today, we are very fortunate to have Dr. Daria Long-Gillespie. Many of you know her as just Dr. Daria. Doctor, how are you? Welcome. Good morning, Ryan. I'm well. How are you? I'm fantastic. Where are you quarantining? So, I am quarantining in our fair city of Atlanta, which I understand is also where you are. I am. I'm actually just outside of Atlanta in a little town called Social Circle at my farm. Well, social circle, I've heard that before. It just sounds so lovely and like 1950s perfect, is it? In many ways it is. Now, it's 1950s empty perfect. I mean, it's a tiny little nothing town. But the, but there are beautiful farms out here, wonderful people. It's everything that you would hope to find in the country. Oh, it sounds wonderful. What part of Atlanta are you in? So we just moved in December because there's nothing uh, – 
nothing fun like having an extra move in there. Um, and we're in Sandy Springs, so um, fortunately have, have some good tree space around us, which makes all the difference right now, I think. I love Sandy Springs. That's a gorgeous mm-hmm. part of town. Sandy Springs yeah. became a city, I think, what, like 10, 15 years ago? They were part of Atlanta and then became their own city. Yes, you know what, Ryan? I can't keep track. I think whoever drew the city boundaries of Atlanta um, was probably five. If you look at the boundaries, I can't keep track of any of them. But I think you are right. <laughs> it was drug crayon work. I wasn't going to say that. I, I hesitate. I guess they're five-year-olds. Um, I'm sure they have their reasons. I don't get involved in those things. Well, I love it. Anyway, Sandy Springs is a beautiful area. You know, let me dive in with some questions that I have for you, which are going to be along a few lines. Like, I, I want to ask you some questions about your background and kind of what shaped you as a person. I want to ask you some philosophical questions, which I always find to be interesting to talk to um, maybe non-philosophers about their, like, philosophies of life. And then I want to ask you some really practical things about what's going on in the world and, and the ways people can be intelligent and uh, wise about how to approach a pandemic. So let me Let's start with it. the let me let, let me start with the the question that I have which is what shapes someone like yourself to become a healer? And what does it mean to Ooh. you to be a healer? That's a wonderful question. So for essentially as, as long as I can remember, I wanted to be in medicine. And I think it was a realization that when something was wrong with somebody, when they were sick, when there was an accident. I remember my my father having a skiing accident when I was young, that I realized that I ran towards that. And I thought that was something that everyone did. And it was only when I got a little bit older, I realized, no, that was something unique that that I ran towards those scenarios because I wanted to help and because I felt that I could. And so I wanted to best prepare myself to be able to really help in those situations, which is what drove me to go to medical school in the first place. Well, how does that tie into a spiritual imagination? How does healing and being that kind of a person, right, that kind of a person that really feels other people's pain and wants to help? Do you relate to that question at all? Does does being a physician feel like a spiritual practice? I think it is. I think it is, Ryan. I think, of course, a key component of my being a physician is is giving somebody the medical care they need. Um, but I think it there is that spiritual need and human connection need on two levels. One is just as important as giving somebody an antibiotic or their blood pressure medication is being able to sit with them and letting them know that I'm here and, you know, figuring out ways you know, a couple of weeks ago with the quarantine, people couldn't get visitors and one man couldn't reach his family. So my job, just as much as getting him his antibiotics, was calling his wife, finding a way to get him his cell phone, finding a way to connect him back so he didn't feel alone. That's part of my job. So yes, absolutely. And secondly, you have to connect with people because everybody has different goals of care. And I need to know what is a successful care scenario and a successful treatment to somebody it may be different from one person to the next. And I can't treat somebody according to exactly what I think I would, how I would want to be treated. So you have to understand what your patients want so you can give them the best treatment for them. So yes, I, I may not have thought of it in those words that you just asked, but you're exactly right. 
Well, it sounds like you feel like there's a, a lot of psychology involved in the practice of, now you practice emergency room medicine, but any mm-hmm. kind of medicine, right? Is, is there, there's yeah. this psychological element of empathy and understanding. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you have to, there is a, a unique way you have to be in medicine that you see suffering and you have to be able to feel it to a certain way, but you can't internalize it so much that the suffering of one patient just derails you that you can't go turn and take care of the next patient. And the way I find that really helps is just to be really present with each patient and to be there to understand what they need, to connect with them, to be able to react and interact that they need. And then you have to be able to compartmentalize that and move on to the next. And in terms of psychology as well is not letting, especially in the ER, um, or anybody, you know, an ER doctor does this, uh, you know, a CEO like yourself, Ryan, you have to do this as well in knowing, and, and, and everybody has to do this, a parent has to do this, a kindergarten teacher, in separating what is maybe the chaos of the, the world around you and keeping that very separate from how you are functioning internally. Because if you internalize that chaos, you can't function on a, a mental level, you can't function on just on a productivity level. Now, did you play any sports? I mean, this has a this has a point, but did you play any sports growing up? <laughs> um, I'm mainly a runner. I ran track and field, and um, uh, did uh, rode horses. I did the the junior jumpers and did a lot of uh, jumping. So jumping and running, oh. effectively. Okay. Yeah. Tell me if you relate to this because you clearly okay. from uh, your just talking to you briefly and then looking at your educational background, you have a very far-reaching mind, very curious mind. Clearly. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's hard for people with far-reaching, curious minds to get centered into the present moment. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it's only sports that can really bring that to the fore for Mm -hmm. somebody who has a far-reaching mind when they're young, right? I know that I experienced something like that for sure. Mm -hmm. Did you find that you've had to do um, exercises, you know, spiritual practices, spiritual exercises, like whether it's you know, Buddhist kind of present moment practice or different things to try to center yourself down into that present moment that you're talking about? Or does that come naturally to you? That does not come naturally to me, Ryan. And I remember very much studying for my medical boards, how hard it was for me just to be able to, again, focus down to what you're talking about. So exercise played a key point. I would take a two hour, a break every two hours and go do some Pilates uh, in an effort to try to be able to focus back. Because, yeah, that, that, that's part of it. And I think in today's world, you know, for me now, it's my run. If I, uh, my team knows, if I, my, my family knows if I don't go for my run, I'm a distracted and not very happy person. So that is, that, that is my centering. And, and moments of, you know, meditation when you have time. For me, it's you know, only like a five or ten minutes here or there. A positive psychologist told me the other day, micro meditation, just focusing on just one breath at a time. I think that makes a difference no matter how busy you are being able to kind of drop back down and center yourself. So yeah, I think that's important. What sports did you play, Ryan? Listen, I played anything with a ball. So, I I always just loved team sports and ball sports and anything that, you know, the more physical contact the better. And and I think in many ways <laughs> Right. In many ways, for me, that was a deeply centering physical space 
groundedness that I that I naturally lacked because I lived in the ether as a child and sports really mm-hmm. saved me from just uh, elevating into sort of some sort of detached state and mm-hmm. helped me like put my feet on the ground in a really beautiful deep way it actually makes me think you know one of my uncles is a doctor he's a he's a small town doctor in Nebraska and one of the things I remember him talking about when I was a child was he talked about how medicine because he kind of lived in the ether you know brainiac Mm -hmm. kind of a guy and he you know he talked about how medicine was like a calling for him that really was centering and grounding in that you can't get lost in philosophy when you're just trying to save somebody's life. Being somebody who's easily distracted and, you know, I'm like that, like that dog that's like, oh, squirrel. I realized in emergency medicine, when there is a crisis and I have that patient in front of me who is acutely ill, it is one of those few times that you are in flow that I'm not thinking about my to-do list. I'm not thinking about anything else that needs to be done but this person and human being right in front of me. And there are very few situations where I can be in that flow. I am that in a crisis in emergency medicine. That's why I chose the career I did. Right, that elevated state that forced you into present moment Mm -hmm. awareness. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. That makes perfect sense. So this morning... I read in the news that the, and you probably read this too, the Wisconsin Supreme Court ruled that the governor mm-hmm. had no right to tell people to shelter in place. Yes, I saw that. It's been all over the place. What, I mean, talk to me about the, the, the ramifications, what you see going on in the world, how people should be approaching this. Imagine, let's, say, let's imagine a world where the government just said, listen, do whatever you want. And then everybody called Dr. Dari and they said, Dr. Dari, I can do whatever I want. What should I do? Yes. Well, what do you tell I, I, would first, I would first tell them to each send me payments of Swedish fish. Um, just so we're clear, <laughs> Ryan. If, if we're talking hypothetical, let's go there. Um, here's the problem, Ryan, is that somehow we have managed to take, and this, everybody on both sides is guilty of this, we've managed to take a virus and make it politicized. And I think everyone is doing this, or not not everyone, but group, groups on both sides are doing this. Um, and I think therein lies much of the problem. I think we need to, decisions need to be made less on knee-jerk and emotion and more on what does the data say and what is our strategic plan. The Good thing is the U.S., you know, we haven't been, we're not the only ones to experience COVID right now. China has had, you know, Italy, Spain, Sweden. We're able we're, hold on, I apologize. That was my daughter speaking over the intercom. These are the joys of um, homeschool. Uh, so, and the, the home we bought had a home, full home intercom. I mean, who has this anymore? Okay. Let me just start over. Yeah, well, it's, perfe- per- it's perfect for sheltering in place. And, you know, you can really just <laughs> hang out, watch Netflix, get on the intercom. Not school. even move. I know. It's like, <laughs> it's a big intercom, too. I don't know how to use half the stuff on there. But my six-year-old apparently has figured it out. So, yay for our children figuring out technology. Um, mm-hmm. but so- it's like the butler system. She just presses the button. She goes, Mom, I need, <laughs> I need breakfast in 15 minutes. You know. 
You know, Ryan, do you have kids? I have three daughters, 15, 13, okay. and 10. Three daughters. Man, young sir, you are in trouble. Um, and uh, It's called karma. Uh, amen to that so I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old and yes let's be clear my main job to them is butler um second is probably shepherd and babysitter the other day my my three-year-old had a stomach ache and so no my six-year-old had a stomach ache so I had you know grabbed my I was just examining with my stethoscope we were having some fun with it and my three-year-old looks at me and said mommy why did you steal a stethoscope from a doctor (laughs) <laughs> you know, you, so you just can't impress your kids. They just, just stop trying. Um, but you asked me about COVID. So, Dragani Ryan, yes. we need to be data-driven and we need to be strategic. Just like you with your company, you create a plan. And we can look to other models. We can look to China. We can look to Italy. We can look to Sweden. And as a country we should make a decision. We can say, hey, you know what? We want to be like Sweden and we want to open up more. We want to relax restrictions. So we create a plan around that. And that plan includes firewalling the vulnerable, letting everyone else you know, with intelligence go back on, on their way to those things that are lowest risk and accepting as a country the consequences that come with that is that there will potentially be more illness and there will be more death. The problem is, as a country, we are choosing this bizarre, a la carte, hodgepodge, lack of strategic plan, wing it. And that is where the problems but, arise. That is where we'll have doctor, unintended consequences. Well, Dr. Levitt, I guess that's kind of the point of my question here, which is the Wisconsin Supreme Court has basically said, America is this chaos. Go. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, then, and yeah, exactly. Go about your way. But why? What is the intelligence in that? In saying we're going to ignore all the other models and every bit, everybody else who has learned something, and instead of learning something from others' mistakes, which we, we could be doing, we're just going to wing it and reinvent the wheel. That's what we are doing, and I, it makes no sense to me. Well, listen, I, I don't disagree with the approach to a pandemic. What I'm what I'm grappling with today, with this Wisconsin uh, decision, is what does it culturally mean to be an American? And 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 this pandemic is thrusting that into our face in a way that I've never experienced. Which is, well, I I have a a deep love of liberty and freedom. Mm-hmm. I I I love all of that spirit that is America, it, it mm-hmm. invigorates me in ways that other countries just don't. And I think that's true for millions and millions of people. And I think billions of people around the world see that and long for that freedom. And yet then in the middle of something like a pandemic, it's really easy to see how the chaos that is America might not be built for the kind of cohesion that you need to fight a germ war. I think that's almost looking at it the wrong way, though, Ryan, because in America, I agree with you. And I'm a, from a family of small business owners, you know, of, of immigrants. Uh, you know, America is built on people who work hard, who have freedoms, and we work towards that. But think of the parallel of, like, being an adult. By being an adult, I, 
you know, have the right to drive my car wherever I want or eat whatever I want, live wherever I want. But part of being an adult means that sometimes there are responsibilities and sometimes there are restrictions. And to be able to have the liberty to drive my car wherever I want, I still need to obey the speed limit. Or if there is construction, I have to slow my car down to 35 miles per hour to go through the construction. That doesn't mean somebody's taking away my liberty to drive. And I think that when we look at it and say that by us saying this virus, which doesn't care what color, you know, you vote, is putting, is, it has come. Nobody asked for it. We didn't invite it here. And we now have to react like adults and say, okay, to maintain the bigger picture of my liberties and my freedom and this country for which we all have fought so hard and live in and enjoy, we have to responsibly say, I'm going to take some restrictions for the bigger picture. I'm not going to go barreling through a construction at 80 miles per hour. Yeah, I love your analogy, the driving analogy, because obviously when cars were first invented, there were no speed limits because we didn't realize we needed them. And then as people started having accidents and things didn't go the way that we'd hoped by just allowing chaos to reign, then we reigned in the chaos with laws. Mm-hmm. So it sounds yes. to me like we're going to have to enter into a period where people are going to have to very rigorous, rigorously debate what are the laws surrounding pandemics and how do we all acquiesce to those for the greater good? Yes. Is that I fair? Because, so. I mean, right now we don't have any of those. And so we're seeing the chaos of people saying, wait, there are no laws about this. You can't tell me what to do. And I, I think you're right. We, this is an, a totally new world. We didn't have laws around this. But, again, giving up some of our rights if for, for smart reasons because and, and sharing that. And I think being very transparent and being consistent is what is, is useful. Similarly, again, using the car analogy, putting my three-year-old, you know, when, when you and I were kids, our parents, what, they stick us in buckets on the roof of the car. Now our children have five-point harnesses until the time they're like 16 years old, practically. Nobody's, we're not worrying about taking away my child's rights to ride on the roof of the car because these are smart. We all see this as smart and we see why and we see the data and we see the consistency of that data. That's, I think, what's missing and where people get frustrated because I have so many people reaching out to me, Ryan, on my Instagram and different places where I answer questions and they say, well, should I wear a mask? One person says I should wear a mask. This person said I shouldn't wear a mask. I go to the grocery store. People aren't wearing a mask. What should I do? And it's in that inconsistency that people get confused. They get impatient. You need to tell them a consistent message. You need to give them timelines and say, this is the you know what, I know this is true for the next 30 days, and in 25 days from now, you and I, or we as a country, are going to reevaluate as we learn more. If you have that, I think we have a smart country. I have faith in our population. I think people would be more willing to do that if they felt that they were being spoken to as adults in a transparent and honest way. Well, that's not happening, <laughs> right? Clearly, <laughs> clearly that's not happening. I would love that. I mean, from the beginning, I thought this could actually be what I dubbed out of the gate. I called this the great pause, like this amazing 90 mm-hmm. days where everything was going to just get put on pause. And then in 90 days, we just press play and we go back to normal. And that has not mm-hmm. been the case at all, no. because I think, you know, I think, I think there's been some major failures in approach economically from the top down. Um, it sounds like in your mind, there's been a lot of failures 
from the top down from just a pure leadership perspective in the midst of a pandemic, which I think is mm-hmm. evident. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's actually almost irrefutable. But so here we are, right? We're here we are in this world where we're, you know, we start with Wisconsin, where Wisconsin has said, nope, there's no top down. People do what they want. So how do we start to educate them? Like, what do you tell these people? I give you a 30 minute uh, radio broadcast in the state of Wisconsin to try to educate the populace who now has every freedom they want. And, and you yeah. tell them, this is what you should do, Wisconsin. You know, help educate. Like, tell me, tell me what I should do. What should I be doing if I don't have somebody to put restrictions on me? I think that's a great question. And I think you start by saying, let's make sure we know where the goalposts are. So it looks like Wisconsin, you guys are going to take the Sweden model. And I think we, it helps, to, let's point to models, it helps people to anchor. Okay, you're taking the Sweden model. So here's what we're going to do. Step one, those vulnerable people, let's keep them firewalled. That's where Sweden kind of failed. They didn't do that so well. Step two, yes, this means that many of you will go out and you, you may get COVID. Many of you will be asymptomatic. Some of you will be sicker. Here's the symptoms you need to look for. And step three, here are the things you need to do to minimize your chance of catching it and to minimize the risk of spread. So that, that third one, that is wearing masks. That means, uh, that means, yes, when we talk about restaurants, six feet alone isn't, isn't enough. So we, we, we need to get, educate people on that. How do you dine safely? How do you go to the store safely? Let's do that. You want your freedoms to go back and do things? Okay. Step three means you have to be smart and do them in a way that is safe. Um, on that point of restaurants, Ryan, there were some pretty interesting things you'd hear people saying. Six feet. There was one study that I just saw, and I can't remember what, what country it was from. They showed people six different tables, and it actually the virus spread further than six feet, but it directly followed the airflow right to left because the AC was on the right and the outflow was on the left. And everyone downstream or people downstream from the person who were, was sick were more likely to be infected. So let's look at that. Let's use that data. We're not starting from ground zero now. Let's look at that data and say, how do we need to structure our restaurants and our retail and everything else so that we can be smarter? How do we structure our healthcare system to make sure that if everybody's going out, we get more people sick to the ho- sick, that our hospitals can handle it? If we do that, then yes, we can have more of a Sweden model, but we all need to know the goalposts. And we all need okay, to first so, acknowledge that. So, so I'm going out to a business dinner tonight in open mm-hmm. Georgia. Imagine Ooh. you came, I, mean, I know, imagine you came <laughs> with me like as like a Navy SEAL operative for dealing I'm with like your COVID attache. virus. Your, yes, your see? Attache. I like this. Right? And I say, all right, we're walking in. What should we look for, and how do we combat this problem? Yeah, so, so for one, I'd have you stand uh, – <laughs> well, let's figure out the air vents. It's, this is like the CIA. I'd have you stand uh-huh. upwind from everyone, um, uh-huh. which, uh, you know, for the, to an eighth grader, upwind is, you know, it, you, it's, it's a good idea for many reasons. Um, so that's <laughs> one. Number two, so uh, I have a three-year-old mm-hmm. boy. That, that's, you know, that's where his mind goes. Um, yeah, so, I'm a 45 year old boy, and that's where my mind goes. <laughs> Some things never change. It's um, the truth. So, you know, how do we do that? You know, I'd look for the people who, 
I'd have you wear a mask. I'd look for people who are wearing masks because honestly, somebody wearing a mask tells me that they're probably doing other potential safe things. Um, number three, you need to make sure that wearing a mask doesn't mean you drop your guard on the other things and go crowd with a larger crowd. I'd have you avoid that large circle of 20, 30 people that are standing there chatting and more do smaller groups. I'd also, and this is interesting, is have you avoid, you know, large amounts of time with any one person. Because we know that when you get sick from COVID, one of the things is the inoculation dose. If one person coughs one virus piece on you, you're not going to get sick. It needs to be, we don't know exactly, but maybe around a thousand particles, say, according to some studies. So you can get that by one person who's super sick, sneezing a whole bunch of particles in your face. That's one way to do it. Or one person who's just talking to you after about five minutes of talking to you they can potentially pass that so it's how sick they are how close you are and the duration of time those are all things density duration distance and the dose is it are they just speaking to you are you just breathing in the same room or do they truly sneeze those are all things that we can look at and if you give people that information i think then people can start making their own smart judgment about it as well. That pass by interaction in the grocery store for a second, not a long enough duration. Living in a home with somebody who is sick, yes, plenty of duration, you're going to have more chances of getting sick. So distance, dose, duration, density. Well, as as we are speaking, I'm emailing the restaurant asking for their air conditioning flow plan. <laughs> if I start getting blueprints in my email inbox from you, Ryan, we're going to have to have a talk. Actually, it might be needed. It, you know, that, that might be one of the things that they have to post at the restaurant. You know, here's our airflow. If you're in this section, it's more dangerous. So It's going to show up on that, open table. Yeah, open table. It's going to uh, be like the nosebleed section is the downwind. You can get a discount in sitting in those tables. It's the truth. It's like living, uh, you know, on a river where you get all the runoff. You oh, good quality. You, go. yeah. you want the good quality water at the, at the source of the spring. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. So there will now be premium, even more premium tables. Premium premiums. Yes. All right. So yes. right now at our studio, one of the things that we're working through that, is, that just ties right into this, that's so complicated, or at least it feels complicated to the novice who doesn't know anything about how you fight germs, really, like on a, on a, mm -hmm. on a truly scientific level is we are trying to figure out how to start productions again. Disney wants to start. Sony wants to start. Warner Brothers, Legendary, all these guys. There's a massive backlog of needed content because the entire world is at home watching Netflix. Yeah. And so that pipeline mm -hmm. is just being drained and not refilled. Mm -hmm. and, and the pipe actually is the demand is now bigger than it's ever been in the history of entertainment. And so we're, we're all trying to figure out how do we fill that pipeline. And the only way we can fill that pipeline, because we don't have technology to manufacture content without human beings present together at this mm -hmm. point. And I don't know if we ever will, but uh, because it's such a you know, human art, this making of entertainment. And so we're trying to figure out how do you get 300 people back together for months at a time in order to make movies and television and create basically sterilized, safe, COVID-inoculated worlds. Mm -hmm. 
what are some of the things that come to mind for you? Now, I mean, I'll give you a little bit of context. Like our facility is about 150 acres. We use about 100 acres. We have 850,000 square feet under roof. The sound stages themselves where the, where the content is actually filmed, the smallest ones are 20,000 square feet with about 50 foot clear height, all one big open area box. Mm -hmm. um, and the largest ones are 40,000 square feet. The entrances, like on, a, on each of those stages, there's four entrances. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't know about the ingress, egress, et cetera. Right. What are some so, of the things that cut? Now, our whole campus is also sealed, so we have, you know, very tight security in and out of the facility. So we can, you know, so we do have controlled access there, which is, I think, a big plus. But what are some of the things that come to mind for you mm -hmm. that I could be thinking about relative to how I get people back to work in a safe way? Yeah, so I'm going to answer my question for that based on my experience working in the hospitals and also working, you know, doing my work at CNN and seeing the control room and, and knowing where you have those groups of people of high concentration. I do also have to say for everybody sitting at home bored right now, lacking content, my TED Talk did launch yesterday on TED.com. So anybody who is bored, we are happy to offer them that TED Talk to end the crazy busy to watch, Ryan. You just have to say I'm watching that, that today. Uh, That's happening. Excellent. Excellent. I love it. You'll have to let me know. What's the topic? Your favorite tactic. So it is, it is how to end the crazy busy and triage your life like an ER doctor. Amazing. How to take those lessons of handling chaos in the ER where you could say, I can look at those double doors and say, whatever comes through those double doors, I can handle it. And how I'm using those lessons to train everybody to be able to do the exact same thing in their lives. So, that's, that's a TED yeah, Talk. I, I, gave it in no, I gave it in November at, in, outside Chicago and TED.com liked it and decided to relaunch it on TED.com yesterday on their homepage. And so that's been really exciting. We've gotten a lot of great traction. So Well, it's timely, so it makes sense. There's a lot of people trying to figure out how to deal with the chaos of this. Yeah, people are more stressed than ever right now. They need this. They need this message. Um, so, again, for, for your question, how do we combine the lessons from working in a hospital to, like, working in a, in a TV studio as well, a television studio? So, for one, all, any of your employees who can be remote, you keep them remote. Number two, those who are in, in front of the camera, are, but are behind, they continue to wear masks. And then looking at, there was some interesting work on uh, some studies. One looked at a choir, and they were in a room, and um, they, they practiced in a large, it was a fairly large room. I forget the exact square footage. I'll get it for you, Ryan. Um, but it was in a choir practice room. One person was sick, and actually a significant portion of that choir from singing, because if you and I are breathing, it would take me about an hour to infect you with COVID, 50 minutes. If we're talking, it takes about five minutes. If you're singing something where you're really projecting, you can be passing the virus that much faster. So you're looking at, you need to look at what people are doing and in how large of a room and then the ventilation. So that study of that choir was really telling that a, a large group, small room, poor ventilation, more people get sick. Um, you have to look at all the shared spaces. Uh, again, studies of offices show that there's, there's one should a big office with an ele elevator bank in between. There was a sick person on kind of the left side of the office. Most of the people who got sick were on that person's side of the office, again, due to proximity and ventilation. Most people on the right side, on the opposite side of the elevator bank, only two or three of them got sick. 
maybe they pass the person in the elevator. What are your shared spaces? Is there, you know, you know, catering and craft? You know, that is a place where people should not be gathering anymore because that just ups your risk. And again, then who are the people who are vulnerable? Watching for them especially. And, um, you know, we think about it, who's, who are the runners? You know, who's the person running it, carrying that script from the director to the actor to, you know, to, to anybody else? Those people, you need to be especially careful because they could be, you know, your super spreaders. So watching people by role as well. And then I think there is a lot to be said for testing, testing fairly regularly. Hopefully we will get more tests so you can do that. You can be testing for active infection um, and also knowing who may already have been exposed because they are potentially going to be some of your lower risk people. Since they've been exposed, they may have some immunity to it. I mean, I love this. This is like educating me about all sorts of things. So I, we're running out of time, but I want to ask you a little bit about the testing because I just mm -hmm. ordered some tests from Korea as like an experiment because we're trying to figure out exactly that. Like, how do we test? What do we test? Et cetera. Mm -hmm. Tell me about like, what do, you, what do you think about the antibody tests? How do we use those? What do you think about the, you know, the full blown mm -hmm. regular testing? I'm, I've been working with a lab that believes they can, you know, continue to turn around tests for me in four, in, in uh, 24 hours. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's obviously a lot more expensive than the antibody tests. But, I, mm -hmm. but, but the reality yep. is right now I'm trying to figure out how we even use these and what we can trust and what we can't trust. Talk to me yeah. more in more so, detail about the testing options mm -hmm. and process. So kind of three different options now. Even the newer one is called the antigen test. It's supposed to take about 15 minutes, um, and that looks just like for specific proteins on the virus. It has, I think, around a 30 to 50 false negative rate. Um, so that means that somebody could test negative and actually have the virus, but if they test positive for it, it's pretty reliable, about 90% chance that they have the virus. The advantage of it, you can get it done in 15 minutes. Um, but again, if somebody has, is symptomatic or is high risk, I always tell people, you know, assume, assume you have COVID if you have the symptoms of it, even if your test tells you negative because it has a high false negative. Then there is the PCR test, which for acute infection. That is gonna look at the DNA of the virus. That's what you're talking about, probably the 24 hour, the three to five day turnaround. That is more accurate. So it could be a 20 to 30% false negative, but that's maybe more accurate, longer turnaround. And then there's the third one, which is the antibody test. This was a little bit of the Wild West. The FDA wanted to get more testing in, so they reduced regulations and we flooded the market with all sorts of antibody tests that we had no idea of the accuracy. FDA is trying to catch up now. Earlier this week, they said all the antibody companies had 10 days to get back to them with their data on accuracy. And if they didn't, they were going to lose uh, approval for them. It's, it's not even approval. It's emergency use uh, allowance for the market. So what I've been telling most people with antibody tests is let's wait for the dust to settle a little bit because there is all this hubbub. And then once we know which ones are really, you know, have the go from the FDA, then get those antibody tests. Those will be very useful because that implies somebody has had COVID and that their immune system has fought it off, which means that they may have some immunity to it. That's going to help us know who can come back sooner because they are less likely to, to catch COVID because they've already fought it off once. We don't know all the details about immunity, but that antibody test, I think, is, is really key for knowing who is the lowest risk to be able to come back. 
and then you couple that with the antigen test or the PCR test to know who is sick now because we've got to get those people off the street to go home and convalesce. Does that help? Sure. Man, it'd be so nice if, we, if the testing could solve a lot of this from a triage standpoint, that's for sure. Yeah, last question for you, and then we have to wrap up. And Imagine that your kids were mid-20s right now, in the middle of COVID, and they lived in another city. And they called you up and they said, Mom, I'm stressed. This is freaking me out. What are two things that you would tell them that might de-stress them? That's a great question. Let me fast forward. To One is, honey, mommy's hopping in the car. I'm coming to get you. Um, but I guess that's not allowed, right? You know, um, I, the chicken soup is I mean, on, the, on the oven. On I'm the picking stove. you up, kicking and screaming. I'm on my way. Um, <laughs> I love it. So, But Amazing. aside from that, first it's asking them. It's, it's what you talked about earlier, that spiritual connection. And if you remember, I said every patient is different as to what constitutes a cure for them or what constitutes treatment, I'd ask my child, what are you most scared of? There are a lot of things mm. they could be scared of. They may be scared that they're not going to have a job. They may be scared that, you know, for their friend's health. They may be scared for their own health. They may be scared because they haven't seen their friends and they're feeling depressed and they're mentally not feeling safe. So I would first ask them that. And then once you know that, then you can help address it. And, Again, what are they concerned about? You validate it. You learn more about it. You let them feel that. Um, and at that moment, either then you can see, ask them what solutions they see. Sometimes they're not immediately able to see the solutions. They just need hear, to hear somebody, hear their concerns, validate them, and then mentally start to think, what's, what's the one next thing we can do to help you here? That sounded like what marriage therapy. <laughs> Maybe I should have a side gig. I think and, so. I mean, clearly yeah. you have a gift outside of just the physical body. You understand how to <laughs> deal with the spiritual body. But, doctor, how do people find you online if they want to hunt you down? Yes. Well, they don't need to hunt me down, Ryan. Um, we try to make it easy. Um, one of the things you asked, you said people are not getting transparent answers right now. That is what I'm trying to provide. That is why I'm doing what I'm doing. So trying to give people truth, data-driven, transparent answers that they've acknowledged that we don't have all the answers and that I will keep coming and presenting to you the information as we have it. So on Instagram, at Dr. Daria is one of the key places that I'm doing that right now. People can ask questions or post comments, and I try to address them in a number of ways. I also post my CNN segments and my BBC segments, and all of those things go on Instagram there. Of course, I'm on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn, all at Dr. Daria. And we just relaunched my website, and it's also drdaria.com. And all these are D-R-D-A-R-R-I-A, really creating what we call um, a, a lifestyle guide with a scientific soul. What are the information on nutrition, stress, exercise, other health information, that kind of premium aspirational, that good holistic health information you want to have? but everything data-driven with that scientific backbone. So that's also at drdaria.com. Just launched, and you can catch my TED Talk there as well. Um, uh, it's right on my homepage, or go.ted.com backslash drdaria. Doctor, this has been enlightening and enjoyable. I really appreciate you joining us on the Black Hall Podcast. Thank you so much, Ryan. I loved it. Great day. 
Love to have you back sometime. Talk to you soon. Have a great day. Take care. Bye-bye. I'll leave you guys with thoughts that I write on Instagram. Setting aside pandemics and economic collapse, right now I'm living the exact lifestyle I've been longing for my entire life. I think I'm in love with sheltering in place, social distancing. On the other side of this madness, I now have clear lifestyle goals. Thanks for listening to the Black Hall Studios podcast with Ryan Millsap. We want to hear from you. Find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Spotify. And follow us on Instagram at at Black Hall Studios and at Ryan.Millsap.